Hello, everybody. You know, this has been a hard year for nonprofits, particularly. I've got a friend who runs the Alliance for Better Nonprofits, and uh, the pandemic has really hit them hard. As we come to the end of the year, uh, I know you all have a, uh, or most of you have a nonprofit you really love and care for. I encourage you to give generously uh, to that mission. And uh, of course, if, if you can give generously to our mission as well and help us get through these times, uh, it'll be fun to see what God does in our new neighborhood next summer. Well, teachers like medical professionals and uh, others on the front line will long be remembered as heroes in this epidemic for tireless, sacrificial, entrepreneurial care for our children. My high respect for teachers soared even higher this week when I spent an hour with Aaron Hausman. Aaron teaches theater at West High School. And if you know her, her heart, like so many of our teachers, overflows with love for her students. Uh, she, she was a few minutes late because several students just had to meet with her and talk to her about their day. Students texted her throughout the meeting. They were, they were the list of texts when she got done of kids that she needed to follow up with. Erin knew the names of her students. She knew which students had an eating disorder, which student's father was struggling with depression, which student had to stay home because the single mother had to choose uh, between work and driving her. And she was trying to figure out how to care for all these kids at the same time. She knew the name of the student that committed suicide earlier in the fall. She lamented the technical challenges that students face and, and, and how far kids fall behind when there isn't someone at home. She described reinventing entire lesson plans to make them work online. She worries about isolated students who only see one face on Google Chrome. She talked about getting up at 4.30 in the morning to prepare new lesson plans. Uh, she's a cancer survivor. She didn't talk about that, but every day she masked up and loved her kids. And when I, when I left my hour with Aaron, uh, I just kept thinking about Jesus. Because that's the way Jesus loves. Incarnationally. Like thousands of teachers around the world this fall, Aaron sacrificially entered the world of these students and poured her life into them. John 1.14 describes this incarnational way of living in simple, elegant terms. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, who's the Word? In the beginning of John's Gospel, the first two verses, he answers that question. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. So the Word is God. 
The Word is the Son of God. The Word spoke, and the world came into being. The Word is the second member of the Trinity. The Word is Jesus. It's a very interesting name for God, isn't it? Word. Uh, what, what are words? Words are ways that we have relationships. A word is a way that my heart connects with your heart. A word gives voice to desire. Uh, a word can correct and boundary. A word can give life. A word can invite into intimacy. And so the, the fact that our God is called the Word tells us that he, he wants to have relationships. He wants to have words. He wants to be in community with us. Words are the way that that happens. Um, Sandy and I dated for two years, long distance, uh, before we married. I was in school in Chicago. She was in school in Los Angeles. And uh, in those days, uh, the the phone call rate was cheaper after 11 o'clock. A few of you will remember that. And so on Thursday nights, I would wait up in my fraternity and wait in line because there was one phone in our fraternity, and we would have our weekly after 11 phone call, and we could afford about 10 minutes. And I just remember how hearing uh, just the lovely sound of her voice over the phone just deepened our love and, and, and helped sustain our relationship. It was just so, so beautiful. Still love to hear, hear her voice. That's what a word does. It, it sustains relationship. But how could that happen? If the word is up there somewhere and we're down here, how could the word reach us, speak to us? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek word for uh, dwelt means to pitch a tent. Uh, it was the idea of setting up camp. Uh, Eugene Peterson in the message translates this verse the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that translation. That's what God, the word, did so that we could know him. Paul describes what that must have been like. Philippians 2 Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There is a scene in the, in the crown where Princess Di visits a children's AIDS hospital. I actually remember when that happened. And uh, she goes up to the bedside of a young 
AIDS victim. And at the time, uh, people were not touching children with AIDS because they, they felt that they could uh, contract it. And Di uh, leans over and just hugs the boy and uh, weeps, weeps with him. And the papers were shocked because uh, royalty's not supposed to even go into hospitals that risky, let alone hug a dying little boy. And uh, when I saw that, I thought, you know, that's, that's our text. That's John 1.14. That's what our prince did. He could have lingered in heaven and not wanted to come down. But he did to hug us, even at the risk of taking upon himself the disease of sin that would ultimately kill him on our behalf. What's God like? He's like a teacher who masks up every day and moves into the lives of their students. He's like a medical professional who masks up every day and cares for patients. He's like a fireman who runs into a burning house to rescue the victims. He's like a police officer responding to a domestic abuse call and risking her own life to make peace. He's like a retired guy that decides not to spend the rest of his life on the golf course and instead goes and volunteers for a nonprofit caring for the least of these. That's what God's like. Wherever there's need or pain, God moves into it, towards it. It's the ark of the gospel. I see this uh, going on all the time in your lives. Uh, I see the arc of the incarnation all the time in your lives. Lynn Charles's mother passed away last week. She was 97. For the past six years, Lynn's mother couldn't make it by herself, and so Lynn pitched her tent and moved into the neighborhood. She, she spent many hours every day over at that little apartment in Dean Hill where her mom lived and just poured her life into her mom. Six years. You know, the incarnation is, is a beautiful model to think about our mission in the city. We're about to move into a new neighborhood. What's that going to, to look like? I hope, at least for some of us, it has something to do with CARM, uh, the Knoxville Area Rescue Mission. Uh, Bert Rosen is the director of CARM. We've been good friends for years. About every six weeks we have lunch, or now we, we call it Zoom lunching. <laughs> Bert... And his dear wife, Carolyn, sent their son off to Virginia Tech 20 or so years ago. Very bright young man, engineer, going great places. Something happened 
uh, in his junior year, his son developed, his name was Matthew, a mental illness. And Matthew disappeared onto the streets. And Bert hasn't seen him since. And that ache, that wound, instead of making Bert bitter and clenched fist and angry at God, has fueled this beautiful love for people without homes. If you've ever been around him, it's just contagious. And so today, he's pitched his tent in our neighborhood to care for our homeless neighbors. 450 guests a night, three meals a day, wonderful programs to help people get back on their feet. When COVID lifts, I'm going to try to volunteer to serve some some meals over there, and others are too, and I hope for some of us that can be one way that we can pitch our tent and live incarnationally in our neighborhood. You know, the, the incarnation is also a model for our own relationships, our relational style too. If you think of, if you think of our relationship with God, the Bible says that we were estranged from God because of sin. Actually, it says in some places, like Ephesians 2, we were at enmity. We were enemies. So there was a broken relationship there. And this is kind of a hard verse, but there's a couple verses in Romans that even say that we were so mad at God we wanted to hurt him. (laughs) which is, of course, what we eventually did. So for God to move towards us was a pretty risky thing relationally. It wasn't safe uh, for him to leave heaven and come and pursue us. You know, maybe something you could think about this Christmas is, is there anybody that God might be calling you to uh, incarnationally move towards. Maybe maybe they've hurt you. Maybe you've needed some space. Maybe you've kind of written them off. But if we can allow this this beautiful picture of the incarnation, the Word becoming flesh, wouldn't that be a beautiful uh, way of thinking about our relationships? leaving the safety and security of our self-protection and moving towards the person who hurt us for the sake of reconciliation. Now, I know there's a whole discussion about how to do that, when to do that. Do we always have to do that? Of course not. The Spirit has to guide us. One of the most popular Christian books on relationships is called Boundaries by Dr. Cloud and Townsend. Five million copies. I wish I'd written it. The subtitle says the book shows us how to set healthy boundaries with our parents, spouses, children, friends, co-workers, and even ourselves. Having clear boundaries is essential to a healthy, balanced lifestyle. Boundaries protect us from getting hurt. And I've read the book many times, given away probably dozens or referred it dozens of times. I think most Christians, most counselors would say, yeah, this is a, Biblically-based, psychologically healthy book. Boundaries are good things. But I, I think we need to reflect on our boundaries in light of the Incarnation. 
What if God had really good boundaries? Would he have ever sent his son if he did? I, I agree that boundaries are important. I understand there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, I never would encourage someone who's been abused to just blindly rush back into a relationship with the abuser. I get it. I, I'm, I'm in. I, I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I like boundaries. However, I think I've seen in some situations the boundary language becoming an excuse for self-protection or I just cancel a relationship because I don't want to get hurt. And it's, I've just got to put a boundary up here. The incarnation, at the very least, challenges us to at least listen for the movement of the Spirit in our heart and not just throw up a, a boundary. Sometimes these boundaries become walls, I think. You know, if my number one goal in a relationship is not to get hurt, and so I put all sorts of boundaries to make sure nobody will hurt me, I might not be hurt but I'll never love. You cannot love without being hurt. Love involves risk. Have your boundaries become walls? Have you, have you just kind of gotten so comfortable with this sort of axiom we have in our relational culture now of sorry I just had to put up a boundary could you at least take that back to God reflect on the incarnation and ask him if there might be some movement necessary from you I don't think I have a friend who says I'm going to say this I'm not sure I believe it it's a dangerous thing to do uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if God had read the boundaries book if he'd ever have come. <laughs> so read it with a grain of salt, okay? Um, well, how how would you ever really know that God was like this, this beautiful movement, this incarnational movement towards pain, towards suffering? How would you know well, John says, we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. He's talking about the glory of God, the divine weightiness, the, the community of men and women who lived with Jesus. They understood first that he was human and then later that he was divine. They saw it. They, they saw the Word become flesh. <laughs> and they wrote about it and they lived and they talked about it. That's how we know he's like this because people that started our faith saw it. The Word became flesh and is full of grace and truth. Now let's end by reflecting on that. Those are kind of big theological words. You could say a lot about it. What is grace? You know what? I, I've just got one little thing pinging in my mind and I want to go back before we end here. You know, I, 
I kind of tried to gently but firmly challenge you to rethink your boundary setting and ask whether or not God might be calling you to move towards a person who could hurt you as God moved towards us. This is just what's on my heart, that there is a certain kind of person who is very, very loving and very, very sensitive. And so you might rush out and move towards a dangerous person simply because you feel guilty and shameful and you got to do something. This is really delicate work, what we're talking about here. And so I'd ask that you pray about it and maybe talk with a wise friend um, that you don't do this by yourself. Because, right, the redemptive story also says there were times when God didn't come, right? I mean, there was a certain time when it was right to come. So if it might not be the right time for you to go, I'm just trying to kind of gently challenge this whole cancel culture, I've set my boundary thing, okay? That's what I'm trying to do here. And if you're just, if you're listening tonight, and you're just really upset and all sorts of stuff's going on, send me an email. We'll talk about it. If you don't have a friend you want to process this with. So back to this beautiful last little part. Jesus is full of grace and truth. What does grace look like? It looks like Jesus. Grace looks like Jesus. This constant movement towards for the sake of winning back. That's what grace is. Not because the word thought we were attractive or special or performing or had great potential. He moves towards us just because he loves us. That's grace. What is truth? Truth is Jesus. And and the way that Jesus models for us in the scriptures of what a wise life looks like. And so, beloved, what we have in, in Jesus is love. We have grace. We have acceptance. We have, through his death on the cross, forgiveness. And we have a way of wisdom that leads us through the world. That's about all you need. (laughs) That's really the deepest human needs is to know that you're loved and that someone's guiding you through the world. So this is why the Incarnation brings us hope. We're not alone on a doomed planet. We're not cut off from a distant, unknowable, angry deity. The Word became flesh. God himself has pursued us in the person of his Son. The Word has a name, Jesus 
Jesus is full of grace. He loves us unconditionally and makes it possible through the cross for us to be accepted as his beloved sons and daughters. And Jesus is full of truth. He shows us the way to life. Let's pray. Lord, I think I'll always remember these nights in the Spain Hour backyard. The fire trucks going by and the birds and dogs and cars and just all the lives, all the stories that are all around us this evening. In this Advent, we we remember again that you came into this beautiful and broken world to redeem us. You came to give us grace. You came to reveal truth. Therefore, we hope. Stir these things up in our heart tonight. In your name, amen.